You know, the Bible records the stories of people just like you and just like me. The Bible has lots of stories about real people with real families who had real jobs, who had real struggles. In God's Word, there are 187 women that are named in his book. And then there are hundreds or even thousands of other daughters and wives and mothers and widows and more. So today, it's Mother's Day, but there's something that God's Word has to say to all of us. So whether you're male or female this morning, we have a lot in common. And one of those being that in our biblical community, which our growth groups looked at earlier, in our biblical community... We are all on a journey. We are all on a journey. Sometimes together, sometimes in other places, but we're all on a journey. The famous and renowned non-biblical scholar, Dr. Seuss, said, You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself in any direction you choose. Oh, the places you'll go. Except when you don't. Because sometimes you won't. Oh, the places you'll go. This is a promise that came to all those people in God's Word. Seldom in the Bible does God come to someone and says, stay. He usually says to someone, I want you to move forward. He almost never interrupts someone and asks them to stay in a comfortable or comfort place, in safety, and in the familiar. Examples like Moses and Gideon and on we can go of people he came to. So time and time again, he opens the door and calls them to a journey. And the amazing truth for us is that every moment of life is alive with opportunity. While we don't always see it, sometimes we just see the same old thing. Sometimes the opportunity doesn't involve going to a new place It means finding a new and previously unexplored or unrecognized opportunity in the old place. Open doors and journeys in the Bible never exist for the sake of the people that God comes to with them. It's usually and always for someone else, but they're to be involved with it. So the the opportunity is to bless someone else. And so that's how God comes to them. An open door or a new journey may be exciting to me, but it doesn't exist just for my benefit nor for yours. And it doesn't mean, unfortunately, for some of us, it doesn't mean it's going to be smooth and pleasant. It usually involves some struggle. Now, even though the emphasis today is on mothers, there's always plenty of room for male and female alike. So men, don't turn your switch off and wait for Father's Day for Chad to pick on you. We're talking to everybody this morning. In our growth groups this morning... We all looked at biblical community. And if you look at God's word, biblical community began on earth in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were the original biblical community. So what can we learn, even from the very beginning, that can help us today? Because it's Mother's Day, we're going to look through the lens and the experiences of several women. And so you'll see those kind of outlined in your bulletin this morning. Hope you'll use that as a guide. But in these examples, we can find godly living patterns that work in the Old as well as the New Testament. 
So there's something for us to learn. Woman, by the way, is first mentioned in Genesis 2, verse 22 and 23. That's That's where she shows up in this story. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This is bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from the man. So in that line of thinking, we're going to move forward and we're going to look at several women today. We're going to look at a mother, a wife, a pair of sisters, and a working woman. Our first one is a a mother. Her name is Hannah. And if you want to follow along in your Bibles this morning, her story begins in 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. Now, today being Mother's Day, obviously we recognize that motherhood is very important. And we hold that standard up. It's a great calling. When God chooses to give a child by birth or adoption, a woman is is really blessed in a great way. But women who are not mothers can also have a part in the generations that that move or that grow up in front of us because scripture says you can have an influence as well. So whether you're a mother or not a mother this morning, you can have an influence on generations ahead of us. Like these people that were lined up here just a few minutes ago. By the way, it was interesting to look at how many of you smiled the whole time. I'm sure your muscles hurt now because through that whole period, all you had was this big smile on your face because you can't help but be touched by the promise that we see of the next generation. So motherhood is a serious responsibility. It's demanding work, and it's a powerful ministry that can influence and impact generations to come. Now, many biblical scholars agree that Hannah is a very powerful example of of a picture of a mother and motherhood. So we find it, as I said, in 1 Samuel. We find her picture or her story, and we're shown a picture of a serious, persistent devotion to God, devotion to her husband, and powerful devotion to her son. During this time, in biblical days, polygamy was the way of things in the world, and her husband, Elkanah, married Hannah, and she became his favorite wife, and she, but she was unable to have children. Now, he also married another lady that was also his wife, and her name was Peninnah, and she gave him lots of children. So, here's a point of tension, right? One lady can't have children. The other woman seems to be able to prolifically have children. And in 1 Samuel verse, chapter 1, verse 6, we see how this affected their family. Scripture says, So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Now, remember, during this time in history particularly, a woman's whole identity... Was, probably, was usually connected to her ability to have children. And here was Hannah, who wasn't able to have any. So this was, strong, this was a powerful statement in her identity and a problem that she had to deal with, for her, that is. But through this time, her husband stayed faithful. He was faithful to her, and she remained faithful to him and to God. So the story and following in verse 9 says this. Once, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting in his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. 
Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he's been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. And he said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Have you ever been so deeply affected or so deeply hurt that you found it was difficult to pray or to put words to your prayers? Well, this this scene reminds us that God hears your heart even when you and I can't form words to pray. He knows what we earnestly are seeking. And she honestly prayed to God. Then she received encouragement from Eli, and she resolved to leave the problem with God. She prayed. She found encouragement. And she sought to leave it with God. Is that how you and I are when something happens to us? Is that how you respond when you give God something and someone encourages you and and you walk away from it? Or do you usually find that you have a hard time letting go of it? Perhaps you want to complain about it. Or how do you respond? You complain, you get depressed, maybe you go find your favorite junk food. Are you sitting there with your bucket of chocolate trying to deal with the situation? Or maybe you get mad at God when you just can't find him blowing through and answering in your timeline. Through this example, we can see a prescription for discouragement, a prescription for how to handle discouragement. You leave it with God. You rely on your spouse or your friends and trusted counselors, but you leave it with him. So the result of this story was God gave Hannah the desire of her heart. And after she had had Hannah, I mean after she had had Samuel, and it was time to let go of him, she did what she had promised God. She brought Samuel back to the temple, back to Eli, where he raised and tutored Samuel, as he grew up. Hannah was able to see her son once a year. Once a year. She followed through in her side of the, of the agreement. And God blessed Samuel in a powerful way. Even today, when mothers give their children to God, and you may not know how God's going to use them, but know he's going to take care of them. He may just lead them behind you as you head to church. He may send them to another place in the country, or he may put them somewhere else around the world. But the point is, God is going to do what is best for our children. 
So when we give our children, when we dedicate our children to God, when we follow the example of these folks that were lined up here a few minutes ago, God is going to honor that, and he's going to do something special with them because we've been willing to dedicate them to him. Women who follow Hannah's example of devotion to their husbands, to their God, and to their children find themselves blessed in a powerful way. So here's a couple of questions you find in your bulletin this morning just to kind of guide your thinking. Let me ask you this. Have you offered your child to God? And by the way, if you haven't done it yet, it's never too late. And they don't have to be infants or or first graders or sixth graders. They can be grown adults. Have you offered your children to God? And the second question, are you willing to allow his will to be first for their future? Because when you, when you offer them, you have to be willing to let them go. Let's look at a wife named Elizabeth. Elizabeth was a special lady. Even though many women in the Bible are known best for who they marry, every woman has a personal identity and a life in which to serve God. Scripture teaches us that after that commitment, marriage is the second in the order of things. So the first commitment is to God. And then other things in life can fall into place when we have that relationship with him correct. Elizabeth received God's praise, and through her example, she gave praise to God and to others. She was an encourager. She was an affirming woman. She was a wife. She was a mother. A lot of things we can learn about Elizabeth, and we find something about Elizabeth first in Luke 1, verse 6, where it says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and regulations. See, Elizabeth was a godly woman. She was a person of integrity, a person that God knew what to expect from. She was a descendant of Aaron. You remember Aaron was the high priest. Aaron was the brother of Moses. And so she was his descendant. And then she wound up marrying an, a, a priest named Zechariah. She lived in Judea near Jerusalem where her husband was a priest in the temple. She was a godly woman. She honored her husband's role as a religious leader. And as a result, God promised that he was going to do something special with her. Up to that point, she had not been able to give birth. And God said, you're going to give birth. And he told Zechariah, an angel appeared to Zechariah. And announced to Zechariah that he was going to be the father of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. Interesting that God used angels to announce the birth to about John the Baptist, as well as later to Mary that Jesus was coming. And impressed Joseph as well. So he used angels. Very unusual. You had an angel announce birth at your house lately? We didn't ha- it didn't happen that way with us that I'm aware of. No glowing creature with wings. But wouldn't it have been cool, Jim, if someone had an angel had flown into your porch and said, hey. So, anyway, I think that's kind of neat. And he did it with both of them because they were very much connected to the story of fulfilling the prophecies about Jesus. So both of these were sons of fulfillment. Elizabeth and Zechariah were going to parent the forerunner to the Messiah. 
What an incredible privilege. And then to also have the opportunity to mentor Mary, who was going to give birth to Jesus. Elizabeth was an encourager to the younger Mary. She offered affirmation and praise to Mary. You know, notice she didn't just sit around thinking about how privileged she was to have John the Baptist coming. She wanted to encourage Mary because she knew something special was going to happen with Mary. In fact, she says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then in verse 45, she says, blessed is she who believed for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. So Elizabeth's faith was an example even to Mary. And like Mary, God blesses you if you mentor other people. If you try to have something to do with the life of the people around you, people in your family, the people you know and love, your neighbors. If you have input into their lives, you become a mentor and you can have a real effect and a positive effect on their life. So some questions that, you, that I've included there on the bulletin today. Who are you encouraging or mentoring in your life? I hope that'll be something you'll consider. Who are you encouraging or mentoring? And are you seeking to influence anyone at home, at work, at school, as you go through life day to day? Are, are you getting outside of your little bubble and looking around at people that you can have some impression with? Are you looking past your own needs to the needs of others? So you, if you aren't, you can take this moment today and decide that you're going to try to have an influence as a mentor or an encourager in someone's spiritual growth. Because if you've learned some valuable lessons from God, you have the opportunity to share that. It's no accident that you've been on the journey you've been on. Our third, uh, our third picture is with a pair of sisters, Mary and Martha. Different spiritual gifts, different personalities, but they both had some spiritual insight because they recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. Because, and they sought to honor him and to give him attention. Mary and Martha were born in Bethany. That's a town near Jerusalem. And were two of Jesus' closest disciples. He often visited in the home of Martha and Mary and, her brother, and their brother Lazarus. And you, you may remember the story of Lazarus as well. Well, all these were a family. And the two sisters were opposites, about like Jacob and Esau, if you're familiar with that story in the Old Testament. Very opposite personalities. She had Mary, she was the tip, or Martha, she was the typical older sister. You know how that goes, right? She tended to mother the younger Mary. She was practical. And not real emotional from what we can see in Scripture. Mary, on the other hand, was passionate and imaginative. But both demonstrated their love for Jesus. And we find their story in Luke 10, starting in verse 38 and following. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what she said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things. 
but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Both women love the Lord, but they expressed it in different ways. Now, I know you're thinking, how many sermons have I heard where Mary is so messed up? I mean, Mary is so dedicated to Jesus, but Martha is just in the way. Because all she's worried about is how clean the house is. So let's don't make the beds today, right? And let's don't wash the dishes. That's not the point of the story. Jesus said something positive to both of them. Now, he pointed out what's most important, but he didn't try to discourage Martha from being who Martha was. Because Martha had the spiritual gifts she had, just like Mary had spiritual gifts that she had. Martha served Jesus and his disciples. Mary worshiped. Martha sat at Jesus' feet to hear his teachings. Martha complained that Mary was not helping with the meal. Jesus reminded Martha of the eternal, but he didn't discount Martha's service. And he praised Mary's worship. Discipleship is a balance. It's a combination of two things, service and reflection. He reminded Martha that the most important priority was to love and worship. Yes. But there's more. There's more. So questions to consider. What about your service this morning? Are you so busy serving that you don't have time to worship him? And how can you worship God in addition to serving him? Because in the book of James, it says, faith without works is dead, meaning it takes both. So if all we do is serve, but we don't worship, we miss the point. But if all we do is worship and we don't serve, we're not fulfilling what God has put in front of us to do. He is looking for both. Our fourth picture is a working woman named Rhoda. I mentioned that to Shasta earlier today, and she said, I've never heard of Rhoda. It's a small spot in the New Testament, but a significant one. So you may have never heard of Rhoda, but we're going to talk about Rhoda for just a moment. But before we do, let let me give you some interesting statistics. There are, according to the government, There are 123 million women from the ages 16 and above in the United States. There's 123 million women ages 16 and above. 58.6% of them work outside the home. So almost 60% of of all the females 16 and above in America work outside the home. Responsibilities of a personal life and a professional life can be overwhelming for anyone. But in addition, Christian women need to be a positive influence, whether they're at home or in the workplace, just like men do. And we need to be aware of our coworkers and what their needs are. But only you and I as individuals can make the choice about whether or not we're going to fulfill that. We can ignore everybody in our workplace and decide that only our needs are important, or we can Go to work with the idea that I can be an influence. I can have an impact. I can be something more for God. The word we're going to associate with Rhoda in just a moment as we read her story is the word joy. 
And there, the word joy is used 150 times in God's word. And then there are other words that are used to describe that. So at least 150 times throughout God's word, it talks about joy. And that joy is the result that comes from knowing and serving God. It's an important Christian virtue. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And it should show up in our lives regarding the circumstances. So this morning, if you're challenged by the idea of joy, if you don't feel like you have joy, it's there as a, for all believers. We can choose to ignore it or push it aside, but it's still there. Even in our struggles, joy shows up. The joy of the Lord in your life can be a real attraction to unbelievers, particularly in the workplace, because people without the Lord are looking for something more. Even when they don't readily acknowledge it and they don't say it, if they're lacking, there's still a hole in their life and they're looking for it, even when they don't want to admit it to the people around you. There is, I, I, I want to share with you about a song that I heard recently that's been out for a while by a group called 21 Pilots. And it's called Stressed Out. And the key lines in this song go something like this. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. And then later, in the background, you hear, wake up, you need to make money, yeah. You see, a lot of folks who aren't believers are constantly looking back as to when it was simpler, when mom and dad had all the answers, and all they had to do was show up. All they had to do was go to school, and someone would pick them up, and then it was time to go get ice cream, someone would pay for it. And it was time to do this, and someone else made the decision and took care of you. See, a a lot of times unbelievers are looking back to simpler times when they didn't have the stresses of the world around us. And so they're missing the joy we can have. We, as believers, have a heavy responsibility to share joy with people, even when it's tough for us. Because joy is always available to us. So when you see co-workers at work that seem to be struggling, just, know, just remember, they're looking for a joy-filled person to impact their life. They're looking for you. They're looking for you. They need what you have to share. They need to know what you've learned. They are looking for you because life is stressful. But wake up. You need to make money. That's what drives us in our culture. You have joy. You have something to share. And as we look at this biblical picture, we see Rhoda. And she's a picture of joy. She lived in Jerusalem about 43 A.D. And she was a maid for John Mark's mother, whose name was Mary. Now, this is not a Mary we've talked about yet. This is another Mary. And apparently, Mary was a fairly wealthy person and could afford servants. 
And Rhoda was her servant, and so she's working, and people would come to, to the house to pray and to meet, and, and uh, Rhoda would have been part of helping uh, serve these people. She would have been taking care of them. She would have been put in the place of helping these other church members that are coming to the house, which is a real, she, Rhoda is a real contrast because a lot of servants wouldn't have been happy. You know, you don't like the idea of having to do what somebody tells you all the time. And so servants work long hours, don't have much time to themselves. And so a lot of servants would have been unhappy. Rhoda seems to have been an exception to that. And she seems to be joyful. We see this in Acts 12, starting in verse 12. And Peter is the subject here. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. But Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. All right, so, hey, I'm on the porch out here. Hey, hey, guys, hey. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. So when Peter showed up, released from prison, Rhoda was excited and she ran to tell everybody. And so he's left on the porch. But she was happy about it. She was joyful. She was overwhelmed. She had good news to share. Are you overwhelmed about having good news to share? Have you shared any good news lately? Are you hiding it under your bushel? You don't want the light to shine too bright, do you? No, of course we do. We want joy to blow out and explode. The places you touch... You have the best opportunity of anyone to have an effect on that, on the people you are close to, where joy can break out and you can share and they can see because it's contagious. Think about somebody that you consider joyful. When you're around them, don't you feel differently? Because it's contagious. Whether it's here at church or in the workplace, at school, at home, they, you, joyful people just bring light to a room. That's why people like to be around Shasta, because she brings light to a room. I don't always bring light to a room. <laughs> I know that. I'm working on it. So here's some questions for you regarding how your witness can touch other people. Are you joyful in your job? Are you joyful in your job? Or is it some kind of burden for you to bear that you have to get up every day and have a job? What happens when you don't have one? That's not the other, that's the other side of the coin. I think I prefer the side that has a job as opposed to the side where I don't have a job. Or do you feel joy when you do God's work? Does it ignite you to be a part of a fellowship, a family of faith, a place to serve? If not, what needs to change for you? What's missing? 
What needs to happen to give you joy in your service, in your service to the Lord? I, th- I know sometimes the problem is we think it's about us. And the Bible indicates it's more about someone else before us. And so I have to be willing to put others in front of me if I want to be in God's will. Believers have to be willing to put others in, out as more important because it's not always about us. Oh, the places you'll go, or maybe you won't. Is that your story this morning? You have the opportunity to go, but maybe you won't. Maybe you're just going to lean back and let somebody else serve in your spot. Or is God prompting you to decide on a new step? Here are four pictures that we've looked at in God's Word this morning of people that were serving. Even when they didn't expect it, God used them. So is God prompting you to to decide on a new step this morning or a better choice or a gap to fill or a change in attitude or a change in direction? Or change in lifestyle. I don't know. Here's what I do know. When you and I come in here together as a family. And we worship together. And we study God's word together. We should come expecting God to say something fresh to us. Rather than I checked the box because I came today. Now I don't expect you to respond because I'm standing here. I expect you to respond because God's word speaks powerfully in any room where it's read. So this morning, what is he saying to you? We do this thing at the end of a service every week called an invitation. And we offer that as an opportunity for you to examine your life and ask God the question, God, what do you have for me and how do I need to respond to you? And so that's what I would say to you this morning. What does God have for you? What did he teach you while you were here this morning, either in your growth group or during this time of worship? What has he said to you and how are you going to respond? Maybe you need to be a better example for your coworkers. Maybe you're selfish and you think life is all about you first. Maybe you need to be willing to bend your will into whatever his will is for you so that your life will be on track in a much better way. Parents, maybe you need to re-examine how you're parenting your children or how you are relating to your spouse. Maybe you just need to discern, decide this morning you're going to become consistent in how you live and how you talk and how you act. Are you on the same page about your expect uh, on the p- expectations with your spouse about what you want to see happen in the life of your children? And that's whether you're still raising them or whether they're out as adults on their own, because grandparents still have a responsibility to be a part of their family's life. What about discipline? Do you support each other, or do you argue about how to discipline your child? What about uh, Sharing the load at home. 
Is it up for somebody else to do all the work for us? Students, are you involved in the life that you have at home? Are you just counting the days till you can move out? As long as mom provides the cell phone service, everything's cool, right? What part do you have in sharing the load at home? My contention is that every one of us have something to work on. And for some of us, that translates into a fresh look at obedience. And perhaps this morning, you need to do something you haven't done in a long, long time, and that's step into the aisle in just a moment. Not because you can't ask God's forgiveness where you are, but simply because it's time for us to put pride aside and let God do whatever he wants to with us. He took the rib out of a man and he formed it. Well, he, allowed, he does that same thing with us. He forms us into who he wants us to be when we allow him to have his will in our lives. When I'm stubborn and I say no, he backs off. But what a miserable place that is for me to have backed away from God. So in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing this. We're going to sing these words, I surrender all. Don't sing that if you're not ready to do it. Because it's a scary thing when God has his way in our lives. Isn't it? It's scary to, oh my goodness, he wants to do what? You want me to give what? You want me to do what? You want me to share what? You want what? Is this really what God wants from me this morning? I would say to you, whatever you feel that the Holy Spirit is saying to you is probably, yes, what he wants from you and for you and because of you. And your life will be so much better tomorrow if in the next moment or two you'll just say yes to him. So let's stand together. And I invite you to pray with me as I lead us. And that you'll sincerely search for what God is saying to you this morning. And joy can explode in this place. Let's pray. And so, Father, we love you. We have been shown your example and how you love us over and over and over again. We've got a whole book that shows that. We've lived a lot of experiences, many of us, that have shown us over and again that you're still in control. And this morning... There's all kinds of things going on in, in our room here. There's challenges for families and for jobs and with finances and with physical challenges we have. Some of us are lonely. Some of us are without joy. Some of us are hurting. Some of us need somebody just to put their hand on our shoulder so that we can have a fresh touch from a human And on and on the list can go. And I would just pray, Father, that your will be done in this place. We're not counting noses here. We're just wanting to do some business with you. And some of us can find our, ourselves in these stories of Rhoda or Mary and Martha or Elizabeth or Hannah. Some of us have given ourselves to you for years and years and you've used us and we're thankful.
But maybe today we're feeling a little dry. Maybe today we need a fresh touch. I don't know what the needs are in this room, Father, but I know you do. And I'm praying that your Holy Spirit will touch us and bend our will to you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.